Welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for all of the audio and sermons from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet every week at 10 a.m. at the Sundial AMC Movie Theater, 151 2nd Avenue North in beautiful downtown St. Petersburg, Florida. So a few years ago, my wife and I uh, decided to, to do the Whole30 um, it's this kind of crazy thing where you only like eat healthy food for 30 days and it, you know, it's real restrictive and all that stuff. Uh, and so I was going to go out to lunch with a friend of mine. He was doing it at the same time and we were kind of trying to find a restaurant that would fit all of the restrictions of Whole30 and we found a raw vegan restaurant. And so neither of us had been there. Neither of us had much experience with that. And so we decided to go. And um, let me tell you, friends, it was not good. Um, I paid $14 for a quarter of a head of cauliflower uh, that had Frank's red hot sauce dumped on top of it. That was it. $14. I I paid it. I did it. It, That restaurant is now closed. Um, I think for obvious reasons. So I was really surprised this week when I went to another vegan restaurant, another restaurant um, that was vegan. It wasn't raw, uh, but it was really, actually, really, really good. Um, And so I was really excited to do that. Uh, If you don't know sort of the distinction between veganism and raw veganism, that's fine. Basically, here's what you need to know. It's a sort of uh, diet plan, a a health plan or a moral plan uh, where you do not eat any animals like vegetarianism, but you also don't eat any animal byproducts. And so you also can't have milk or cheese or honey. Uh, And if you add the raw part to it, Uh, That means that you don't cook any of said food, hence me getting a chunk of cauliflower with sauce dumped on top of it. I've I've cooked for some of you. Um, I've cooked vegan food. It's actually quite fun to sort of have to be creative, uh, to have to figure out how to make uh, sour cream out of cashews. Um, It's a whole thing, uh, but it can be a ton of fun. You just have to think through things uh, that you're going to cook. I bring this up, I bring this sort of idea of good and bad vegan restaurants up because the passage that we're going to look at from the Bible today has a lot to do with food preferences and it has a lot to do with table fellowship. It's important to have the the background and understanding because this passage that we're going to read from Galatians is particularly difficult. Paul uses some language that's a little bit complex here. So here's what you need to know. For an observant Jew in the first century, it wasn't just important that you kept kosher. It wasn't just important that you made sure that you ate all the right things and avoided all the right things, but you needed to only share your table with other people who kept kosher as well. So there was a level of separation there. It wasn't just that I need to keep kosher. It's that I need to keep kosher, and if you're going to have dinner with me, you need to have been keeping kosher as well. So that means that they would not share a meal with any Gentiles. They would not share a meal with Jews who weren't as as observant as they are. They would just do it for the people who had kept these detailed laws from the Old Testament. And this was a point of pride for them. This was a a badge of honor. In fact, this was so drilled into their heads. This was such a part of how they understood the world that when God decided to change this, when God was modifying this through Jesus Christ, he gave Peter a vision. 
He had to tell Peter specifically about this. And Peter uh, goes into a trance-like state and he has a vision that a sheet comes down from heaven. It's got all these non-kosher animals on it. And God says to Peter, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Have the lobster, you're gonna love it. And Peter's like, no, no, I can't. I can't, I can't do that. I, I can't break kosher. I can't do it. And Peter says, uh, God says to Peter again, kill and eat. What I say is clean is truly clean. And Peter started to understand. Peter started to understand that God wasn't just talking about lobsters and animals that didn't chew the cud or whatever sort of uh, strange thing we can find in the Old Testament kosher laws. God was talking about the Gentiles because immediately after Peter goes to the house of Cornelius, the first Gentile convert that we read about in uh, the New Testament, Peter understood that this was about more than just the food because he shares the table with Cornelius. He no longer separates himself out from Cornelius because he's a Gentile. That's so shocking. That's such a big deal for Peter that God has to send a special revelation to him in order to understand it. Well, it seems that this didn't really sink in with the church of Judea initially. They wanted to keep the badge of identity by only sharing table fellowship with other kosher folks with other Jewish Christians. And what we're going to see today is that this is absolutely deadly to the message of the gospel. It is absolutely deadly to the teachings of Jesus. As Christians, complete surrender to and faith in Jesus, who loved us and gave himself for us, is the totality of our Christian identity. Anytime we add something to this or separate from others who believe this, anytime we do that, we're doing violence and damage to the message of Jesus, but also to the work of Jesus. We are taking away from the cross itself, which is a serious charge that we're going to see. And so if you would, if you are able, I would ask that you would stand as I read Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 21. But when Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ. So we have also believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, but because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then the servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, 
who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. City Church is the word of God written nearly 2,000 years ago and intended for us this morning. You may be seated. This passage kind of has everything in it. I mean, think about it. We've got one of the most memorized verses of Paul. We've got a fight between apostles, hypocrisy amongst friends, uh, a manifesto of the relationship uh, between Christians and the law. It's got it all. It's all jammed in here. But to wrap our minds around this sort of complex passage that is jammed with a lot of stuff, we have to step back and remember what I have already talked about this morning that disagreement over who got to eat with who. In many ways, this disagreement is a little bit like the scene in uh, the movie Mean Girls. Um, Mean Girls is uh, 19 years old, which will make many of you in this room feel very old, um, that that movie next year will be 20 years old. But in a very sort of particular scene near the very beginning of the movie, this girl who is new to the high school is given a map of the lunchroom, a map of who she should and should not eat with. And in many ways, this passage is a question of who gets to share meals together. Paul is talking about something that happened in the church in Antioch. And it's happening around their love feasts. This is a a practice of the early church where they would all gather together and they would eat together to show their unity as the body of Christ. This wasn't exactly the Lord's Supper. This wasn't exactly communion, but it was also, it was often celebrated uh, together with it. In fact, a lot of old school churches kind of pick up this tradition. A lot of old churches will have a potluck on the Sunday that they serve communion. That's a little bit like what was happening here. And as they would have these feasts, as they would have these meals together, the Jews and the Gentile Christians would eat all together. They would share the meals, share their tables, because they knew that the mark of being a true Christian was not keeping kosher. It was faith in the work of Jesus the Messiah. Faith that Jesus loved us and gave himself for our sins, and he's delivering us from this present age. And Peter comes to town, and Peter comes, and when he gets there, he starts doing the exact same thing. He is eating and feasting with the Jewish and Gentile Christians alike, everybody showing their unity together. But then, then something happens. Something happens because people show up and Peter begins to draw back. These are people from the church in Judea. That's why Paul says that they were uh, from James. And they, ca- they were people that insisted on keeping kosher. That's why he calls them the circumcision party. Now, look, there's a lot of low-hanging jokes and a lot of things that I could say about a group called the circumcision party, and I'm going to resist that. I'm not going to take that bait. But I could but it's helpful to point out that they're a party, not like a celebration, but a party like a political party. These are people who are Jewish Christians who haven't yet realized that the identity marker, the thing that sets you apart, isn't keeping the law. It's faith in Jesus. They have not had that sink in yet. And so they show up and Peter starts to change his habits. There's a progression in what Peter does. First, Peter Peter draws back. He kind of doesn't quite eat as many meals with the Gentiles. And then it says he completely separates himself from the Gentile Christians. Peter broke table fellowship 
with other Christians in Antioch because they weren't keeping the Old Testament kosher laws. Why? Peter, what are you doing, my man? What are you doing, baby? Come on, why did this happen? It says why. Peter feared the opinion of the circumcision party. Peter was afraid of what other people would think of him if he ate with those people, those Gentile sinners. And while I don't want to dwell on this point for too long, I think there is something to say if that if somebody's opinion is keeping you from breaking bread with fellow believers, if there's a grudge that you have that you're holding on to or a standard that you feel someone else has failed to meet, you should be talking to them. Don't just recoil like Peter. Because Peter's hypocrisy doesn't just have consequences for him. He's a hypocrite because he's believing one thing and doing another. But it has consequences for the church. He is breaking the fellowship of this church up. And it's going to have consequences for the church in Judea when they go back and say, yeah, 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 Peter doesn't eat with the Gentiles and continue this on. In fact, it has a very pointed effect. Peter's hypocrisy and drawing away from table fellowship with the Gentiles led Barnabas to the same hypocrisy. Barnabas, who just just months before this had been told by the council at Jerusalem that, that he should be one of the two men to go and reach the Gentiles with the gospel. Barnabas gets so torn up about this, so misaligned about this, that he follows Peter into this hypocrisy of not sharing the table with the Gentile Christians. Now, I know, listen, I know that this seems like a weird weird thing for Paul and Peter to argue about. And now we're sitting here in the year of our Lord, 2023, talking about Jewish and Gentile table habits. I know that that seems weird, but I want you to stick with me for just a little bit longer because Paul is actually going to show us that this, this isn't just about table manners. This isn't just something we could improve upon if we re- read Emily Post, uh, How to Be a Good Host. This is something significant to the message of the gospel itself because Paul is having none of Peter's shenanigans. Paul opposes him to his face. Um, Uh, Paul is, as uh, some of the younger folks might say, getting up in Peter's grill. Because Paul wants nothing to do with this converse, this, this idea, this behavior. He sees it as out of step with the truth of the gospel. The way that Paul phrases that is he's saying, Peter, I know you have faith. I know you believe in Jesus, but your life is absolutely not lining up with what you believe. And so I'm going to call you out on that. He exposes Peter's hypocrisy. In verse 14, if you look, he he has that confusing set of statements of, if you, being a Jew, live like a Gentile, then how do you want the Gentiles to live like Jews? What he's saying there is, look, Peter, before the circumcision party got here, you were more than happy to eat dinner and have fellowship and be a part of the church in Antioch with Gentile Christians. And when they showed up, you got weird. That's being a hypocrite. You're treating them like they're second-class citizens because they're not keeping the Old Testament laws. You're communicating to them by your actions that if you don't follow all of these Old Testament rules, then you're a second-class Christian. Then you're not really as good of a Christian as you could be. 
And I want to pause here for just a second. Let's reset this problem. Let's remember again so it's super clear. The marker and sign that you are a part of the family of God is not keeping the Old Testament law. I know most of us don't struggle with that. But, but the marker of true Christian faith is faith in Jesus as the Messiah. Through faith, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit and moved to live a new sort of life as a new uncommon kind of family where we share the table, where we share fellowship with everyone else who believes. And we don't go back and try to prop up any extra rules or any restrictions. That's what's on the table here. Pun intended. I'm sorry. It was too easy. So Paul continues to show Peter what's really wrong with this. Paul says, look, Peter, we were both born as Jews. We've kept kosher since we were children. We know how to keep kosher. But we also know because we have believed in Jesus as the Messiah that that is not our identity marker. That's not what makes us stand out. That's not what makes us different. That's not what justifies us before God. All of the rule keeping we can muster up can never change or make us right in the eyes of God. It's simply our faith in Christ that renders the new judgment over our life. When we place our faith in Jesus, it is as if in the courtroom a gavel rings out and God says, because of the sacrifice of Jesus, you are not guilty. We're made right and whole and holy in the eyes of God because of our faith in what Jesus has done for us. And all of our rule keeping could never add anything to that. Um, most of you know that I'm a very big baseball fan. If you were to ask me, Justin, how many days till opening days for baseball? I would be able to tell you 60, 60 on the dot until opening day. I have tickets to opening day. Um, happy to meet up with you beforehand if you'd like to. Um, I know a spot right near the uh, stadium that's real good. I'm a huge Rays fan. I love going to games. But here's what I know. That my cheering, screaming, and attendance at the baseball game has zero effect on the box score, on the score of the game. None at all. I, I can scream at the umps all that I want, and it will not change the game in the slightest. I can yell and jeer at Yankees and Red Sox players and maybe even their fans until I am blue in the face, and it will change nothing. I can cheer on the Rays until my, horse, my voice is hoarse, and it will have zero net effect on the game. I am not a baseball player. I am a dude who sits out in the outfield and screams. I have no effect on the results of baseball games. That's what's true of our salvation. We are not the active player on the field doing it. We are not the one enacting, enabling, or even helping it. Jesus did it all. Just like when I go to a baseball game, the Rays are the only ones who can put runs on the board. Jesus is the only one that can affect our justification and our salvation. And that's what Paul shows us. And he continues on to show us how that works. We don't need the Old Testament law to be added 
to our faith. When we sin, we don't need to try to make up for it. We don't need to try to find a way to to go back to the old rules or do some good deeds somewhere else. No, certainly not, Paul says. We don't need to have the idea that adding rules or rule keeping to our faith helps it at all. Paul says to Peter in verse 18, look, you're trying to add the Old Testament law, the Torah, to show how good of a Christian you are. And that's completely beside the point. In fact, Tom Wright said it this way, invoking Torah, the law, to solidify your status at righteousness is like inviting the chief of police to come and help you bury the bodies of the people you just murdered. If we try to go, oh, but look, look, I'm a Christian and I'm really good because look at all the rules that I keep. We're going to have to live and die by the rule book. And guess what happens to all of us according to the rule book? We die. None of us can live up to that righteousness. Paul says, no, we have died to the requirements of the law and now live by faith in Christ. When Jesus was crucified, all of our sins and all of our good deeds were nailed to the cross along with him. That's why, that's why Isaiah says that even our righteous acts are as filthy rags. Even our best attempts don't make it. No, but all of that was killed on the cross with Jesus. And now through the Holy Spirit, not only is Jesus resurrected and living in heaven in a human body, But even more than that, he is living in us through the Holy Spirit so that the lives we now live as Christians are animated by our connection to Jesus' work in us. And that's how Paul ends things in verses 20 and 21. That's what Paul wants Peter to see. Paul is not yelling at Peter because he wants to prove a point or win an argument. He wants deeply, dearly, and truly for Peter to see that Christ has died so we don't have to be slaves to rule-keeping. Peter, when you separate from those who don't keep kosher, what you're saying is that Jesus died for no reason because Jesus died to set the table for all of us, regardless of how well or not we have kept all the laws that we can find. And Paul relates this. Paul tells this story to the church at Galatia because the false teachers have come to this church. The false teachers have come in and said, no, 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 Peter was actually right. You should keep kosher. You should get circumcised. Rule keeping isn't what keeps us as a part of the faith and the family of Jesus. Simply believing in Christ does. But just like Peter you and I can be tempted to kind of go back. We can tempted to be tempted to sort of rewind the clock. Maybe it looks like old school religious legalism, a list of do's and don'ts. I, I don't smoke and I don't chew and I don't run with girls who do. But in a church like ours, we're actually probably a little bit more susceptible to the opposite of that. Many of us have been hurt and burned by fundamentalist Christianity. And what can happen with us is we can we can sort of create a new sort of reactionary legalism where if you ask me to be holy and that feels like fundamentalism, I'm going to make sure that I rebel against it. But no amount of rule keeping, no matter what the boundary set is, no amount of boundary setting can ever affect our justification because you are a fan in the stadium. You are not a player on the field. 
And so to walk in step with the message of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, is to abandon all of our self-salvation projects, all of the things that we do that we think make us valuable and worthy and rely wholly on him. It's for us to abandon all of the rules that we try to impose on ourselves and impose on others because none of those things can add anything to our faith in Christ. But walking in step with the gospel also means that we live out the heart of Jesus in our actions as well. Being free from the law and and rule keeping doesn't mean we just get to do whatever we want. It doesn't mean that playtime has started. It certainly does not. But it means that our lives as Christians are focused on living out the implications of what does it mean for me to be a follower of Jesus who loved me, who gave himself for me, who is delivering me from this present evil age. I live in line with that because I know that to be true. Jesus loved us and gave himself for us to draw us together as a new family, as a new community. And it's on that basis that we spur one another on to live faithfully to Jesus who lives in each one of us. And one of the ways that we show that and share that is by fellowshipping with one another at the table, which is why we practice weekly communion here at City Church, because we believe that sharing a meal, even if it is just a morsel of bread and a bit of wine, is a way for us to be encouraged in our faith. And so let us not divide City Church. Let us not set up rules and boundaries that we try to uh, set others aside, to set up the good Christians and the real Christians. Instead, let us find our identity, let us find our justification, justification solely in the person of Jesus, solely in what Jesus has done for us. And as we do that all together, we, we will be bound together into a new sort of family, into an uncommon community centered around the message of Jesus. Let's pray that he would do that. Let's pray.